0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Bonham Six and Father. We left off the last episode talking about the Creed, specifically the beginning part of I believe or correction, the beginning part of the second half. I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and we didn't quite get to Apostolic <laughs> in the last episode. And I just want to start there, start the conversation there with when we say an Apostolic Church what does that mean? Yeah. So
1: having uh, spent some time on One Holy Catholic uh, and Catholic, we get to apostolic. And uh, of course, apostolic is the adjective for apostles. And uh, the role of the apostles is really foundational. We get some of these images like in the book of Revelation, uh, maybe also in the letters of Peter, I can't quite remember. um, but, But in the book of Revelation, we have the Uh, The Holy City Jerusalem is another image for the church's reality in heaven, and it's built on the foundation stones of the apostles, So there's something about Jesus and the apostles, which is really at the core. Um, It's something that I think comes out in a beautiful way in the Chosen series. I don't know if we've talked about that very much, but uh, Chosen series is really marvelous. I really appreciate what the uh, creators of that have done, but you really get the sense of Jesus's closeness with the apostles. Now, there's a group of disciples that are around him, but the apostles play a particular role. And what we would develop this as in later language is that they are the bishops. So the those who are invested with the fullness of priesthood that Christ has uh, in himself as a priest, prophet, and king— That He passes that on in its fullness to the apostles. So they also uh, receive the full revelation. You know, it's it's an interesting thing to note that Jesus didn't write anything. He didn't write books. He didn't write the Bible. Uh, He made apostles and he entrusted himself to them. He entrusted his revelation to them. And He passed that on not only because he told them stories and they wrote it down and they memorized, you know, the encyclopedia of the life of Jesus or something like that. He communicated that also to them through the Holy Spirit. He really invested through what we would now call the sacrament of holy orders, the his life, his powers, his priesthood, his prophetic role, his teaching office, his truth. And he tells them, I have more to tell you now, but you can't bear it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth, he will lead you into all truth. And so they have a a special participation in the life of God through the Holy Spirit that invests them with this fullness of revelation and then the power to make present the very mysteries of the life of Christ. So they are the ones who can celebrate the Eucharist. And we have that all the way back to the very beginning of the church. The apostles were the ones who heard the words of Jesus, do this in memory of me. And they have done it ever since. It's, it's really remarkable to track back that history, but it's, it's the reality. And so all the way from the beginning, they were uh, carrying this, this mission out in a particular way. Really, uh, this, this all gets ignited in, in a special way at Pentecost as all that Christ invested in them, uh, you know, then gets set on fire, we might say, and we see Peter come out and teaching and teach. We, we see the, the nature of that original community that shares uh, all things in common, uh, that that listen to the teaching of the apostles, and they share together in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And that was a way of describing the Eucharist, simply said. And so We have that apostolic community centered around the apostles who are animating this this whole community. And then we see already from the beginning also that uh, in the loss of Judas, they replace him with Matthias, and they choose him, and then he is uh, counted among their number. And so we see that the apostles have the power to replace themselves. They have the power to make more apostles. And so they do that. And we have this apostolic succession, the apostles who made apostles who made apostles. Again, at some point we started calling them bishops, but the the word, the office, the concept is the same. And so uh, we have this apostolic succession of apostles creating apostles. Uh, We see that again with St. Paul, and he even talks about the Eucharist uh, uh, on the night before he suffered. Uh, He said, what I have received, I hand on also to you, that on the night before he suffered, Jesus took bread in his sacred hands and uh, giving thanks, etc. I don't remember exactly the way that he phrases it there. I'm starting to repeat the Eucharistic prayer. In any event, uh, Paul, again, is added to the number of the apostles. Uh, Timothy and Titus are added to the number of the apostles, and they're entrusted with churches. And they have this power to teach, and they have this power also to confect the eucharist and the sacraments as we understood them then and you know that's developed in clarity over time but that that being built on the on the apostles and so we can see this is a, it's really a, a wonderful thing we have the we have the unbroken apostolic succession with all of the popes so you can actually track back every pope in history back to peter mm-hmm. uh, and so we have that succession we we have kept the records of apostolic succession pretty far back in time certainly many centuries and so i can look at the bishop that ordained me and i can see his succession of bishops going back uh i I think six or seven hundred years we we lost some of the records in the in the middle ages but the tradition of the church of uh apostles making apostles and ultimately again we call that the sacrament of holy orders that goes back to the apostles. And so that uh, the same understanding that the apostles had in terms of revelation and their role in it uh, and the way that the the role that they play in the church has been passed down through the laying on of hands over every generation from the beginning until now. So all of the bishops currently in the Catholic church are successors of the apostles. And we actually make a distinction with some other churches for example, the Anglicans do not have apostolic succession. So they 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 broke that at some point. They had it for a period of time, but especially in the the 20th century and it's a little fuzzy in some previous times, they don't have apostolic succession. The Lutherans do not have apostolic succession. The Methodists do not have apostolic succession. The Orthodox do have apostolic succession. The Orthodox have also held to this uh, succession of ordinations, apostles to apostles, going back to the apostles of the twelve apostles of Jesus. Um, so we make a distinction between truly apostolic churches. So we would understand apostolic succession in a particular way. The uh, when the Lutherans say, "I believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church," they uh, don't have in mind apostolic succession, but rather that the church was built on the original twelve apostles and their faith so it's one way that we describe what is the faith of the church it's the faith of the apostles and christ invested the fullness of his revelation in them and then they have uh through their teaching passed that down that would be more of a a lutheran concept whereas we would see also the embodiment of that role in the church that apostolic role and also the teaching through the faith of the apostles and the communication of that faith all under, you know, not just like human beings copying documents carefully, but rather all under the influence and protection and guidance of the Holy Spirit who animates the church.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that last part of there gets gets really overshadowed here because I was thinking this through and, you know, I think you actually answered my question there, which is the Holy Spirit is is, is the, the the teacher of all this that gets overshadowed because we look at this. You have 2,000 years, basically, of many, many generations, and you, you guys kept track, but a ton, probably nearly a million bishops in the history of the world by now, um, at least. And unlike other religions that have allowed people to come out and say, I'm the new prophet or whatever, there has been a consistent message. It wasn't like at at some point down the road someone started saying something that was heresy and we everyone just went with it. you know there was a checks and balance system that said, hey, you know Jesus actually was fully God and fully man, not all one or all the other or watered down versions of either. So I think that that is a testament. you know you can barely put ten people in a room and have them agree for an hour, let alone. Uh, millions of people and agree for essentially all time. And, and to me, that is an incredibly overlooked thing. Because in my world, what I'm doing is I'm constantly looking at things that everyone's doing and seeing why they're doing wrong so I can zag and make it better for everyone else involved. Um, there's a lot of benefit in that. That's innovation that makes society better. That's what we're called to do. And I'm not saying that the bishops haven't innovated um i'm thinking what i'm trying to say is the way that we look at the innovations gets discounted for some reason because communicating with someone in this time period is different than communicating with someone in the 1600s aside from obviously all the technological things and the fact language itself was different but people had different priorities in different periods of time and the church had to be innovative and connect to them. And sometimes it was better at that job than others, obviously. I mean, nothing can be constant, but the message is constant. And I think the only way that that really could happen when you're allowed to swim in these waters of innovation of saying, I wanna to connect to this group, but my message isn't gonna change. So the only real, ex- or I think maybe the, the current example I can think of this is there's diocesan priests here in Pittsburgh. But there's also priests of certain orders that are disconnected from the diocese as a whole, as far as I know it. I never see them at like a normal mass, but when you go to their cluster or whatever the technical term is, they're still doing the math or the mass and doing it in the same way. And they're teaching essentially the same message. They're doing it in a different way and they're living a different lifestyle. So that's what I mean by innovation. Some things are different and it's okay. But the teachings and the mass is still the same. Just the one group focuses upon humility more, and the one group focuses upon reaching out to the people in the form of the diocese. Um, And the Franciscans—I don't fully know exactly everything about them, but I know that they wear different outfits. Um, So there's probably a lot more to this, but I just know from you know cursory passing. What I'm trying to get with all that is the only way that this all could stay bound has to be beyond man because the whole thing would implode because governments essentially are what you see when it's bound by man, what's going to happen. They fracture off. Eventually they fight and they start killing each other. And then they start fighting each other on different battlefields. They're just using dollars and cents instead of bullets, but it's still the same thing. They're just always constantly fighting each other or fighting amongst themselves within themselves. And the church doesn't really have that. Despite different groups, different nations, different cultures, different time, it doesn't have that. And I get that this started with the apostles, but I think it's it it really is them bowing down to the Holy Spirit and recognizing that. And in some ways, the Holy Spirit is the one we talk about the least on this show, but it's the one that's guiding it more than anything else. So Father, I want to give you a chance to discuss that here as we're coming towards the conclusion of today's episode
1: yeah no you, you said it very well joe the uh that uh consistency of teaching through uh, across the whole world and across the last 2000 years is nothing less than miraculous i mean it really is a, a work of the holy spirit in the most in the most uh, apparent you know most obvious way and so um, it's, it's really important to recognize that. Now, you can, start to, you can start to dig into the weeds. I just want to acknowledge this. You can start to dig into the weeds. and say, well, What about this thing and that thing and this point and that point? And There are a lot of interesting things throughout the last 2,000 years and the history of, and analyzing particular doctrines and how things developed. And anyway, there's a lot of fascinating things when you get into the detail. But, but the end result is, and it's absolutely true, is that we have consistent doctrine over the last 2,000 years. I mean, it's really remarkable. And as you said, different things come up at different times. And that's even tied together with what I mentioned in the last episode about the uh, Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. There was, uh, you know, the apostles knew who Jesus was. (laughs) They lived with him. They saw him die. They saw him risen from the dead. And they proclaimed him. And they gave their whole life to him. And their lives were conformed to him. And there were a lot of things, you know, it's sort of like, uh, I've, I spent a lot of time, uh, getting into the effects of trauma, the nervous system, our biochemistry, all this stuff, you know, I've lived in my body my whole life, as it turns out, but I wouldn't have necessarily known all of this stuff and had names for it and been able to get exactly the cause and effects and the relationships and all of this stuff. Uh, and, and apparently Human beings across history have not really pressed into it to the same degree as we are now. There's a lot of discoveries that are happening, not because human beings have changed, but just because we know what questions to ask, we have some tools to analyze it and we're gathering a body of research to be able to acknowledge it. And so just like we do with our humanity, I have it in me, I am human, and yet I don't even fully understand myself until somebody helps me discover myself. And that's kind of what happens in Christianity, in doctrine, in the church, is uh, we we know that Jesus is God, we know the Holy Spirit is God, we know the Father is God, but we couldn't necessarily quite put it all into words precisely and how that fits together and what that means. And the church opened that up in different layers throughout time. And so uh, they were really trying to nail down, you know, is Jesus, well, how do we describe who Jesus is or what this means? Well, Jesus is God. How can I say this in a clear way? How can I formulate a way of expressing this that can you know, communicate the ideas? And so the Nicene Creed did that uh, by we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in uh, uh, all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Anyway, so the whole articulation of that is expressing who Jesus is in precise terms. And then uh, nailing that down in 325, getting the language around it and all of the discussion that was necessary because words lose, you know, they change meaning over time. And so you need to root that in the language, in the understanding of it. And, you know, that's been taken over and and expressed in uh, various ways over the the subsequent centuries. But uh, then, you know, 60 years later, uh, 55 years later, there were questions about the Holy Spirit was is this a third? Like, what is this? How, how do we understand the Holy Spirit? And part of the problem is, you know, why don't we talk about the Holy Spirit more? Well, the Holy Spirit is, is a personified relationship. You know, I talk about you, Joe. We don't often talk about our relationship. You know, our relationship exists in the encounter of one with the other. So the Holy Spirit is there in our encounter with Jesus, in our encounter with the Father. We can't have we can't think about the Father or the Son without being in the Holy Spirit. He's just always there. It's like, if there were no air, I could not breathe and we could not have a relationship. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit is like the divine air in which everything takes place. Now, he is also himself a person. And anyway, how you tease all that out and how that, well, you know, the the church that came up, those questions and that self-reflection and Like, how do we understand that? And what does that mean? And how do I express that? And how can I teach that to someone else? And then the church acting together, all of the, you know, essentially the bishops at that time, and then confirmed by the Pope, there's a certain structure to how the Holy Spirit has worked in the church. And uh, we're able to formulate a doctrine that we now still, you know, almost uh, 1700 years later we're we're still saying the same words that they said in 381 AD i mean it's it's amazing that we can that we can still hold to this and so uh, we do see that continuity throughout time which that just only god could do H- human human industry falls apart in no time mm-hmm. nothing can sustain this sort of consistency other than god and that is to say because it's truth you know because God is being, this is truth. This is part of who we are. It's, it's part of the, of reality. And so, uh, and, and God gives us the capacity to stay tuned to that, to, uh, be connected to that. And that's really an amazing gift.
0: Yeah. Most things, you know, in terms of man-made organizations, you know, with the church aside, fall apart after a generation or two. Um, you know, just using the American economy as an example here, there are less than twenty companies that have survived hundred years here, that are that are publicly traded companies. Um, now, obviously, there's there's some few ones, but there you put that in comparison of the probably ten million companies that have been created since since that same hundred years. You know, it, it the percentage of surviving is astronomically low because people. People are people and and they're going to, they're going to eventually tear things up, rip them apart and try to mush them back together in a way that doesn't normally work. Um, So I think that that, that's incredibly powerful to think about it um, like that.
1: Yeah, you might, you probably know the details better than I do, but I understand like the Dow Jones industrial average, does it not have a single company that's the same? It's certainly many or even most of the companies are not the same as they were at the beginning.
0: Um General Electric US Steel, I believe, would be your two. They they've had different names, but the one was Carnegie Steel and then um General Electric changed as well. Um but uh I I believe they're the only two. Uh, yeah
1: that's amazing. So just to to your point, you know, like even this kind of standard for the you know the the companies that kind of de- determine the rate of growth and success and whatever else uh, in in investment that all has changed in less than a hundred years or a hundred years. So, yeah, and, and the likelihood
0: of, of at least all of them staying the same is just not not there. So that's it, right. It's, it's something that that you know, in general, you can make a very good argument. Man's nature to innovate constantly destroys as well. Um, which there might be some truth to that in this capacity. But when we look in the fact that the church hasn't had that, if that's not a glaring contrary signal to divinity and and the notion of the Holy spirit, I I don't know what else could be. So we thank you guys for listening today. We will be with you again next week. And and we invite you all to think about and and reflect upon the Holy spirit and and what that means, but not only to you, but, but to society as large and, and how we can contribute to, to making relationships that we have between other people have Holy, hold the Holy spirit involved in them as well. So we thank everyone for listening and we'll be with you again next week.